Straight Outta Cobham is sponsored by Bet365 and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. The new season is already underway and Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On today's show, we take you inside Chelsea's biggest scoop of the summer with all the details on how the Blues managed to capture Kai. As well as Havertz, we'll also be looking ahead to the opening game of the new season at Brighton. We'll see how the women's team got on in their first match of the new FAWSL campaign, answer your questions and more. Available ad-free on the Athletic app. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Right now, we're offering listeners to this show the opportunity to try out The Athletic for free. You can enjoy all of our writing on Chelsea, including the recent article from Simon, Liam and Raf Honigstein entitled How Chelsea Signed Kai Havertz. It's an in-depth look at how the club secured a player who'd been on their radar for a number of years. Just go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod to sign up for a free 30-day trial. That's theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod. Hello again then, listener. Matt Davis-Adams here, bringing you bang up to date with all the latest Chelsea news. I'm joined by the Athletics' three blues brains. Hello, Dominic Fifield. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing, Liam Toomey? So relieved that Havertz has finally been announced. Every day, <laughs> every day for the past three weeks has felt like Kai Day. <laughs> it surely has. Uh, and a welcome back, Simon Johnson. I trust you're suitably refreshed. As ever. <laughs> <laughs> Right, yeah. normal sir. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Expecting a sterling contribution uh, this weekend, and what a way to start it that was. Uh, in normal circumstances, we begin the show by previewing the upcoming season, but given the big news that broke on Friday, there's only one place we can start. Hashtag announced Havertz. So, having worn out the phrase, it's basically done over the past month or so, football writers across the land rejoiced on Friday at the news they could take the word basically out of the aforementioned sentence as Chelsea confirmed the signing of 21-year-old German international midfielder Kai Havertz from Bayer Leverkusen on a five-year contract. Now, Simon's written a piece which Liam and Raphael Honigstein have contributed to for The Athletic, entitled How Chelsea Signed Kai Havertz. Do go and check it out. It's a great read. Um, Simon, one thing that I took from it immediately was this has been a long time in the making, this transfer. It's not something that that was done on a whim. No, I mean, it's um, some great detail from from Raph Honigstein. I have to give a big shout-out to him that, um, yeah, he, he, he discovered that... Um, this was a deal that, that started even before Frank Lampard took charge. So very much, um, a Scott McClacken as well, sort of championing that, that transfer because Chelsea were preparing for the transfer ban and, and how they would come out of that transfer ban. What would the project be? And there was a very early decision made to spend big, as you'd expect. But the point is they approached Havertz's people before the end of the 2018-19 season and told told them exactly that, that um, they saw Havertz as 
uh, a big signing for them, one that they would definitely go for to um, get out of that transfer ban and kick on to a whole new era at Chelsea Football Club. So this has uh, been a dalliance, a romance, a wooing, a courtship that has gone on for over a year um, and has definitely paid off. You mentioned Scott McClacken there, a figure that not many Chelsea supporters will be that familiar with, but it, but he was key to this this deal. Tell us a bit about his role within the club. Well, he he's head of uh, Intash Scouting. Um, so, look, of course, there he will be looking at a number of players in advance. So, like with Havertz, um, he instructed the scouting department to be looking at Havertz and, and compiling dossiers for a considerable amount of time. Um, so it wasn't just a rash decision to sort of go, oh, let's go after this guy. Havertz was intensively watched and McClacken would be a huge part in that. And he certainly made it very clear to the powers that be that, that Havertz is the kind of player that Chelsea should be targeting. We'll get to, to Liam and Dom's thoughts on the transfer in a minute. But one, one more for you, Simon. A question that's come in via Twitter from Dorset Wanderer, who's wondering, what was the actual price that Chelsea have paid? It, there seems to be hmm. some discrepancy in the figures being reported to, between the German and the English media. Yeah, I mean, it's very much like the Eden Hazard-Real Madrid um, scenario where both Chelsea and Real Madrid uh, quoted different kind of prices because, of course, they want to be seen in the public eye to have to have won, essentially. Um, now, from Chelsea's perspective, uh, let's just say that they're thinking that it's a, a fee of initial sort of just over £62 million with add-ons. Uh, but by Leverkusen, uh, whilst they've not gone too public on the exact breakdown and structure of the payments, they, they were adamant all along that they were going to get €100 million, Euros, which is just under £90 million, and they are going away saying that's exactly what they're going to get as long as these add-ons are triggered, which, of course, involve um, what Havertz is going to do personally and also what Chelsea go on to do with Havertz at the club. But put it this way, Leverkusen think they're going to get their €100 million. Euros. Chelsea are confident they're not going to be paying that much. I don't think it really matters. At the end of the day, I think Chelsea are the ones that have, have won this They've got the player, they've got Germany's rising star and they're the ones that are happy regardless of what the final figure will actually be. Liam, Simon says that, that, that Chelsea have won this. Uh, just just from reading the piece, there wasn't really any other realistic competitor for his signature once it became clear that this was the time he was going to be leaving Leverkusen, was there? It, it, it's, it's odd that somebody so highly touted it hasn't been the subject of a bidding war. Yeah, and it's entirely to do with the unique circumstances that that football finds itself in, with the with the financial fallout of the of the pandemic and the shutdown um, being felt even among the, the the really top clubs of Europe. In any ordinary window, a player as coveted as Kai Havertz by all of Europe's elite clubs could have had his pick, and you know, Raf Honigstein, um, who's been very plugged into his situation. To have it's his situation for for quite a while now, um, contributed to the piece that, that basically Havertz's preference initially was Real Madrid, as as is a lot of players, as was Eden Hazard back in 2012. Um, but you get to this summer, you get to this transfer window. Real Madrid decide they can't spend. A lot of other elite clubs around Europe decide that they can't spend the kind of money that Chelsea have ended up paying for Havertz. And the path basically cleared in a way that it wouldn't have done um, in any other scenario. And given that this is a player that that I think any 
of the top clubs in Europe would have happily signed in a heartbeat in in, in normal circumstances and, and built their team around for the next five or six years. Chelsea didn't hesitate. As soon as they saw this opportunity, they they really went forcefully for Havertz in persuading the player, you know, Lampard taking a leading role in that, but also in engaging Leverkusen in negotiations. And I think despite how long it's all taken to come up with the actual final figures and, and payment structure, uh, no, none of the parties involved were ever in any doubt that this would end up getting done and that Havertz would end up at Stamford Bridge. Dom, Liam mentioned there the role that, that Frank Lampard played. As he's pointed out in the article, he's he's kind of become the ace in the pack for Chelsea in these transfer negotiations, not not just with Havertz, but, but seemingly with Ziyech and Werner as well. Well, he's contributed certainly to all three major arrivals. Uh, I think if you're, if you're contacted by Frank Lampard you, and you're a young player uh, with a bright future in the game, you, you sit up and take notice. So definitely... You would be a bit starstruck in his company. I mean, Kai Havertz has spoken glowingly about Lampard since he's put pen to paper. He's spoken publicly about it. So, yeah, clearly that that it, it does it does play a part. I don't think it swings it. I think, to be honest, with all these deals, Marina's Granovskaya's contribution is probably more significant. Um, you know, aside from Roman Abramovich actually writing these checks, she's the one that's that's going into these negotiations and 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 driving a hard deal on on all all of them and bringing bringing asking prices down, being bold in the market. I think she's she's a, often the determining factor. And the more agents you talk to about Chelsea's transfer dealings, her name is is omnipresent. I mean, she's dealing with them all and getting these deals done. And I think. There was a period where she got an awful lot of grief from uh, a certain certain sections of the supporter base, but actually, I think she's doing a, a pretty amazing job, albeit bolstered of and backed by Abramovich's billions. It's interesting, isn't it, Simon? We've all been covering Chelsea for for a number of years and, and following them for for longer than that. It seems almost unsettling that there is so much harmony between manager and, and those who buy the players. It, it, it's a situation that Chelsea haven't found themselves in for a long time. You, you've got Marina Granovskaya, Petr Cech, Frank Lampard, uh, McLachlan, who we've mentioned, and others, and they all seem to be on the same page. Yeah, bring back the Antonio Conte era, that's what I say. <laughs> that was far more entertaining. Yeah, yeah. this is, this is weird. This is kind of... Uh, uh, a place that Chelsea haven't been in, um, you could say, for a number of years, because um, you, you can you go through the managers and they all had, uh, at one time or another, issues. Now, I think one shouldn't be naive that there aren't discussions and debates um, that go on uh, between, you know, sort of what Frank will want and what the club will want. Um, but at the end of the day, they all seem to be gelling together to get the required results. And this is the most... Exciting transfer window, not just in terms of money spent, but in terms of the players that Chelsea are getting since you'd have to go back to Abramovich's arrival in 2003. Now, is it complete? Is it? Does it mean that Chelsea are now favourites for the title? No, because they're still... I think it's going to take a few windows for Chelsea to fix this squad, which hasn't challenged for a title since they won it in 2017. But... There's no doubt about it that um, they're all sort of getting, they're all playing their part in making Chelsea a, a force to be reckoned with again. And, and of course, that's why Chelsea fans, who unfortunately won't be able to watch 
these players in the flesh, um, certainly on mass for a while yet, but that's why they're all very excited to watch them wherever they get to see them on, uh, on TV. Straight Out of Cobham is brought to you by Packed Coffee. It's a company that offers coffee without compromise, which means they source only the best beans, they pay their farmers over fair trade rates, and they always get their coffee to your door freshly roasted. No excuses. Packed Coffee allows you to choose exactly how you want your coffee and when it's delivered to you. It's not your typical subscription that comes on the first of every month. You can get coffee whenever you want, and you can pause, cancel, or change your plan anytime online. Pact doesn't sacrifice quality for the sake of profit. Their coffee is roasted fresh for your order and ground just moments before it's shipped. They provide free and fast delivery with no hidden postage charges. And if you order before 1pm Monday to Friday, your order will be with you the very next day. Now, I've been a Pact subscriber for years. It's an essential part of my daily routine. I've got a toddler who gets up at 5am. I drink a bucket full of Pact coffee and then I'm good to go for the day. We really want you to try this delicious coffee too, so we'll give you a discount code for you to get your first bag from just £1.95. Go to packcoffee.com, that's P-A-C-T coffee.com, create your flexible coffee plan and enter the code COBHAM at checkout. Our code is valid when you create a packed coffee plan for new customers only. Now then, back in July, Liam wrote a really great piece for The Athletic about what makes Havertz special. Um, it's ever so comprehensive it's got that classic to me thing of lots of lovely pictures of the player <laughs> pinch from y scout as well um you compared him with michael balak but also with with frank lampard a uh, question here from daniel which i'll put to you liam where will have its most likely feature for chelsea next season will frank stick with 4-3-3 and have Havertz as an eight or could we see a 4-2-3-1 with Havertz as a 10 what do you think i think it's a really fascinating question and i don't think there's one answer uh, I know that sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but Havertz is such a unique talent. I compared him to Balak and to Lampard in that in that piece, and he certainly has aspects of both. And maybe his his best single quality is recognising the perfect opportunities to, to attack the penalty area without the ball um, and arrive at the perfect time in the perfect position to to score. And once he's there, he's a very, very good finisher. In that respect, he's, he's very much like particularly Lampard, but Balak was also excellent at that in, um, for Germany. Um, I think he'll be used in different ways by Lampard. He, he was used in different ways at Leverkusen. He, he was used as a number 10. He was used as kind of like an inside right. Then after the resumption of the Bundesliga season, he was used as a false nine, playing a little bit more with his back to goal. Occasionally, he looked a bit like a true nine because they were, they were swinging crosses in and he was scoring headers six foot two. I think he brings some much needed height to, to this Chelsea team, even if he's not the, the bulkiest figure. Um, and so I think Lampard will, will move him around a little bit. And I think one of the, one of the benefits Lampard has from the other players Chelsea have signed as well is that they've all got a degree of positional versatility. You know, Werner can play as a nine or a second striker or maybe even off the left. Pulisic can play across the creative line. Ziyech can play as a 10 as well as off the right. I think there's so many possible ways that Chelsea can line up. And I, and Lampard showed last season that he's got the willingness to switch formations and tactics depending on the teams that he's playing. So he's got more options now than ever before. It's, I think he's got some very nice problems. Tom, not to be Debbie Downer, but is there a danger that he'll struggle to live up to the expectations given how hyped up this, this move has been sort of on social media amongst supporters that everybody will be expecting him to hit the ground running? 
Yeah, I, I, I guess that that is a risk. Sorry, I'm sniggering just because we had hashtag announce Werner and, and then almost overnight, as soon as that deal was completed, it became hashtag announce Kai <laughs> or announce Habert. So I think people move on quite quickly, certainly in terms of social media and the transfer market. That is hashtag um, modern football in a nutshell. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Look, yeah, we have to be realistic about this. Um a lot of players who come to English football take a while to adapt. <laughs> These are human beings. They're coming to live in a different country, different culture, um, different surroundings. It, it, naturally, it'll take some adaptation. It's good that he's got Timo Werner there, a compatriot and somebody he knows well from the national setup, uh, and Antonio Rudiger likewise. I think you know little things like that do actually help. I think players to, to settle into new surroundings, um, but. If he, if he explodes onto the scene, then absolutely brilliant, fantastic. Um, it's it's going to be quite a surreal situation when when competitive football returns this weekend without the, the supporters again. We we don't want to get used to that, and you know he'll he'll have to adapt again when when fans eventually are back into the stadium and and, and we're, we're more you know back into the sort of feverish um, atmosphere that you you get in English football grounds, um, but. You know he's got the talent. He's got all the, the the tools there to thrive. As long as we're realistic and 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 the supporters sort of grant him a bit of leeway and just just to just to get into the rhythm of it all, uh, then then he'll benefit from that. I mean, that's, Lampard's actually got a bit of an issue there as well because there are a lot of there are a lot of new players coming into this setup. I mean, we're all, we're talking about starters here in in Ziyech, in, in Werner, in, in Havertz, and in, in Thiago Silva as well, and Ben Chilwell. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while for them all to, to get used to each other and to, and to, to work out their, their teammates' foibles, how they play on the pitch. I mean, we just, naturally, it's a lot of change in one window. So, yeah, patience will be required. Right, lastly, on transfers then, Simon, you are a transfer guru. You, you were aware of the Chilwell story before anybody else. Do you, do you think there are any more incomings imminent? And and if not, would, would Frank Lampard be happy with what he's got? Uh, let's just say that it's not over yet. The plan is to bring another two players in. Um, so watch this space. Of course, I think we, we all know and are well aware that the goalkeeper situation is one that Lampard and Chelsea sort of need to resolve um, so I expect movement there um, and the other position is defensive midfield um, so look look for those two positions over the next few weeks the, the other thing that's going to be inevitably has to be very busy in the weeks remaining of the window is, is players out because there is a real concern inevitably on having lots of players there that aren't going to really kick a ball um, so it's important for the team morale, team atmosphere, and and for those guys in particular as well, because they, you know, they've got careers to to worry about that that players are moved out. So um, expect Chelsea to also be busy in the trying to offload um, players from from their rather large squad, which it is right now. There you go. Listen, you heard it here first. The next hashtag to get trending is announce a keeper to provide some competition for Kepa, whose form was particularly poor at the end of last season. Well, Blue supporters could get their first glimpse of Havertz in a Chelsea shirt when the new Premier League season kicks off in just a few days' time. We'll look ahead to that after this. Harry sponsors Straight Out of Cobham, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who are sick and tired of overpriced razors. And they've now released their sharpest ever blades and added a new lubricating strip for an even closer, more comfortable shave. 
The best part? They haven't raised their prices. So replacement blades are still as little as £1.75 each. They're amazing quality blades and now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. As a listener, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash Cobham right now. That's harrys.com slash Cobham. So after an interminable interlude of almost two whole months, the Premier League returns this weekend. Chelsea have to wait until Monday night for their first game of the new campaign. It's on the south coast against Brighton and Hove Albion. We'll get to the game shortly. First though, uh, Dom, Chelsea played at Brighton a couple of weeks ago in pre-season. And as far as we are aware, that is going to be the only pre-season game of the season. I mean, I guess in terms of fitness that most of the players have had these international games to get a few minutes under their belt but that's not particularly helpful to to Frank Lampard and, and even then you worry about muscles twanging fairly early into what is going to be a very compacted extremely busy season it's spot on I mean I think most Premier League clubs uh, like to have at least six pre-season friendlies in normal circumstances what that's what they'd aim to to get I was speaking to a, a Premier League club last week and the, the head of sports science was suggesting that each player should get 400 minutes of, of friendly football under his belt before going into the first league game of the season. And that's sort of done in a progressive manner from 45 minutes for first game, then 60, then 75, and then a full 90. Now, even if Chelsea are arranging and playing games behind closed doors at Cobham, whether they be against you know, B teams or opposing sides just on the quiet, it seems difficult to to envisage they've actually played six of them. Um, it's just that bright and friendly. And and that inevitably means that that, that players won't be completely up to scratch when, when the season proper begins. Now, there are a couple of sort of things we should take into account. I mean, not least that the break has been so brief and, and players haven't really lost an awful lot of fitness. They've lost some match sharpness, definitely. So I think a lot of clubs are looking at thinking these are exceptional circumstances and because of football's effectively been on the go, I know there was the, the, the lockdown period, but players again during that period were, were keeping themselves fit with Zoom videos, etc., supplied by their clubs. So the, the levels of fitness haven't dropped off as they would normally in a in, in a in a pre-season or closed season rather. Um, but the other thing that, that has disrupted things is international football and. I think clubs, these two Nations League fixtures, clubs look at them and think it's okay having an international break in, in pre-season if your players go away and play. If they play and they get their minutes under the belt, which is, goes into that sort of six-game friendly thing effectively, if they're getting their 45, 60, 75 minutes, then that's fine. They, they're getting, uh, they're, they're almost fitting the, the, the programme that's assigned to them. But if they go away and they're on the fringes or they get five-minute cameo here, 10 minutes there and these are competitive fixtures we're seeing in the Nations League then it actually sets the players back and uh, you know inevitably with international football you know it's it's really tactical work you do you don't do an awful lot of high intensity trainings they're not really geared towards club pre-season routines so I think that is an issue and Chelsea have had an awful lot of players away on international football in the last week effectively so that has really taken a chunk out of their preparations and I I, I do think they'll go into that game at, at at, at Brighton, not half cut, but not quite ready yet. 
Liam, the, the fitness side of it is one thing. I, I wonder if the, the short turnaround means that we're unlikely to see any sort of radical changes tactically to the Chelsea team at Brighton. Is it going to be similar to what we saw at the end of last season, if not in, in terms of personnel, but in terms of formation and setup? Yeah, I, th- I think all the players that Chelsea have signed have been recruited for the, for the systems that Lampard played last season. You know, largely 4-3-3. I'm sure they're capable of switching to a back three with wing backs as well, away at Brighton if Lampard sees the need to. Um, but harder to predict is the is the personnel, really. I think this is the hardest team to, to predict of Lampard's entire time in charge, purely because there are so many new players that have all arrived at different times. You've had this international break and you've had no real pre-season to speak of. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see... Kai Havertz involved in some form, maybe coming off the bench at some at some stage, particularly because I don't expect Christian Pulisic to be ready after that hamstring injury and um, Hakim Ziyech tweaked his knee against Brighton. So I, I, I think caution will be the guiding philosophy for Lampard if there are any players that he feels like are um, in danger of not being even close to fully ready, I, I can't see him taking many chances with, with such a congested fixture list after this opener. Well, that kind of asks the question that uh, Connock has tweeted us with. Do you think Lampard will take his time introducing the signings into the first team or let them grasp the pace of the Premier League or will he just throw them in? I guess it depends. Fitness-wise, it is what we've learned from that. What about um, Thiago Silva, Simon? I know he had a bit of a break, didn't he, after he'd signed. Do you think he's going to be ready to slot in defence? We were expecting Chilwell to still be out for a little longer, I think. I'd be very surprised, Matt, because... um... He's had to um, self-isolate, quarantine, etc., because he was outside the bubble. Um, so he's not even—I don't think he's even been at Cobham yet. So it's, it's a big ask for him to be brought straight back in. Of course, was involved in the Champions League final a few weeks ago, but I would have thought that that Lampard will probably choose the, the safer option and go with guys that are sort of like the, the tried and tested that sort of know the way Chelsea and and he likes to play, but. I, I wouldn't imagine it would be too long once Silva joins in uh, that he'll be thrust in to the action because, uh, yeah, he hasn't been signed to sit on the bench. I think this is a guy that's going to start more games than, than not. Last season, Dom, it was a one-all draw between the teams at the Amex, which is what the score was in that friendly a couple of weeks ago too. Uh, it's a, definitely a gentler start than last season away at Manchester United. But but I guess with that comes increased expectations. People will be People will be putting this down as an away win, won't they? Well, they certainly will be until they see the team sheet, um, depending on what what availability Chelsea have, uh, as Simon's just detailed. This this is a difficult one in, in as much as it, these games are hard to predict with no supporters there. I think I think a full house at the Amex on the first day of the season, given that Chelsea's disrupted pre-season, would have actually been a harder prospect in, in many ways. It might have whipped Brighton up into more of a frenzy to, to get into the game. You just got to hope that that Chelsea make their class tell early on, like they did indeed in the in the friendly the other week, but then are, are more ruthless thereafter. And and I think you know it's, uh, Brighton Brighton uh, do have bright starts to seasons and then tend to fade mid season and, and and end up struggling in a relegation battle before pulling themselves clear late on. So it's it's not easy. This it's not an easy fixture, but. I just think it's all so wildly unpredictable at the moment with with these sort of lockdown again games games without without supporters there. It's it's 
horribly difficult to predict what's going to happen. Yeah, Dom's right. Really difficult to predict. Liam, who do you think is going to win this game and where will Chelsea finish this season? (laughs) (laughs) Strange, a grenade has just landed in my lap. Um, Yeah, well, for the season, I think it's a little bit easier to make some predictions for Chelsea than for a lot of clubs, at least because most of the new signings that they're going to make in this window have been made now. Um, I, I thought all along that, that they were going to finish third this year um, and I think that has to be the expectation for, for Lampard unless we see some major regression from Manchester City and Liverpool. Um, they've been operating at such a high level the last the last three years that it's a big ask for Chelsea to go from 63 points to mid to high 90s which is what it would take to actually win the league or, or be in the conversation with those two teams. Um, so I think third, and I think the expectation for Lampard is to narrow that points gap and then try to win a trophy, well, compete for silverware in all other competitions and ha- and have a good run in the Champions League, show progress in developing um, the younger players that have come in and the younger players that have come through the academy towards a, a sort of team identity. Um, and he, of course, he has to improve the defence. If they concede 54-plus goals again... Um, it, there will be serious questions about whether Lampard is the the man to oversee this project. So Chelsea have to defend better as well as as well as scoring more goals, which is surely assured given the the amount of talent they've got. As for the Brighton game, uh, I'm going to be optimistic and say Chelsea will win, but who the hell knows? <laughs> in in terms of the Premier League, then Simon, do you think that a third place finish would be could progress enough in power for Frank Lampard, given the, the amount of money they've spent and the kind of play they furnished him with this summer, or, or does there need to be a little bit more than that? Maybe. Well, it's always difficult to to know exactly what the powers that be, uh, what they what they're thinking. Clearly, they'll want a much better. Um, challenged than they managed the last few years, particularly last season. So, as Liam rightly says, that third place, I, I still, I still think third place is whether it's acceptable for the board. Who knows? But I think it is the most realistic at this stage because um, Manchester City and Liverpool they, they've been setting records in the last few seasons. So for Chelsea, suddenly jump from. Let's be honest, a team that, that's in and around fourth spot to, to winning the title, it's it's a big ask. Um, but there's no doubt about it, Chet, that the board will want a significant improvement on what they saw last season. Last season, Lampard did a fine job in, in getting um, the team into fourth spot, um, but they won't settle for that, I don't think. Certainly not for not with a, a points tally as low as it was and, and, and the goals against Colin what it, the way it was, I think, and the amount of defeats as well. I, I certainly would be surprised if they decided to make a change if, if Lampard sort of finished sort of third um, because that would be uh, quite a strong ask. As he himself has been saying to these players that, that um, Chelsea have signed, it's a three-year project. So it, it's not like all of Chelsea's weaknesses can be fixed in one transfer window. Um, what Chelsea plan to do, of course, is to make step-by-step progress so that in a year or two's time, they are challenging directly with Liverpool Man City for the title. And, and he will be, if he's still there, expected to do that. Well, we'll be recording next week's show after the Brighton game so we can react to it. Do keep across the Athletics social media for more details on when that pod will drop. Next up for us today, we'll check in on Emma Hayes' women's team. 
This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving! So, after beating Manchester City in the Community Shield last weekend, Chelsea's women's team faced Manchester United as the Blues began the defence of the WSL title they were awarded on points per game after last season's competition was curtailed because of the pandemic. A disappointing afternoon on Sunday for Emma Hayes' side, though, held to a one-all draw after conceding late on. Uh, Liam, you watched this, not quite fully firing yet, I think it'd be fair to say. No, definitely not. I thought Chelsea actually started pretty well. Um, Emma Hayes kept faith with Sam Kerr despite her series of misses at Wembley and she was repaid. Uh, I think um, it was a really nice goal from Kerr, really, really nice run from the back post across across the fullback, lots of determination to get there. Chelsea worked the ball really well down the right-hand side, perfect cross from Fran Kirby who looked pretty lively all round. It's really good to see her um, looking close to her best on a football pitch again after everything she's been through. And... Chelsea were quite good in that in that spell, um, but once they took the lead, it seemed like they they stopped playing football. And particularly after um, Ji So Yun was substituted, uh, they they just weren't able to control midfield at all. And, and Man United uh, played most of the game in their half in, in in Chelsea's half from that point on. And by the time the equaliser came, it it really had been coming for about twenty thirty minutes. Um, Chelsea tried to tried to rally towards the end. They had opportunities. Peniel Harder came off the bench and looked really good, really dangerous, um, and created some some really good moments. Chelsea still had the chances to win the game. Kerr missed a couple of chances herself, aside from the one she scored in the first 30-40 minutes. So no no major cause for panic, but we know from previous experience in the WSL that, that draws can be as costly as defeats um, because the standard is so high with with City and Arsenal so that it's a significant um, setback but I think there were plenty of signs that, that Chelsea will grow from this and, and, and be a real force domestically and in Europe. Yeah, big wins for City and for Arsenal this weekend. Chelsea's next WSL game is at home to Bristol City women on Sunday of next weekend. That is the 13th of September. Uh, that's just about it for this week. Before we go, though, uh, Liam, tell us what athletic subscribers can look forward to reading from you in, in the coming days. We were speaking about the women's team there and, and you've been focusing on, on one of their players. Yes, I, I interviewed Jesse Fleming last week and, and that piece is up on, on The Athletic now. Um, 22-year-old Canada international, tenacious but creative box-to-box midfielder. She's got 77 caps already, which is absolutely absurd. Um, but she's had a really interesting journey to get to Chelsea, signed straight up college, UCLA Bruins. Um, and now she's competing with some of the best players in the world to get into Emma Hayes' team. So really enjoyed that conversation. Give that a read if you can. Um, and as for the week coming up, 
I'm working on a big piece about uh, Cesar Espilicueta, the the captain, the leader, the legend. Uh, I don't know what the Spanish is for that. So, um, but yeah, that that should be going up towards the middle of the week. So, look out for that one. Uh, Dom, you have been given the task of of writing about some of Chelsea's best players in the Premier League at six D pieces on Ashley Cole, Eden Hazard, and Didier Drogba. Up now, what else is on your agenda in the coming days and weeks? Well, I'm, I'm writing a piece about the season ahead and the particular difficulties clubs will face. Uh, maintaining players' fitness, um, given the cram nature of the schedule. The season is five weeks shorter than it would normally be. Um, in Chelsea's case, they'll have 38 league games plus Champions League and domestic cup competitions. So nursing a squad, even a squad as deep as, as Chelsea's, through that logjam of, of games is going to be a, a real feat. Simon, you just basking in the glory of your excellent Kai Havertz piece or is there, <laughs> there anything else on the horizon? Yeah, no, that's it. I'm done for the season. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. Uh, I, I've been given the the duty of setting the season up um, from a Chelsea point of view. Um, so I've written a, a, a season preview, which should come out some point this week. Um, I was also given the, the tough challenge of when everyone's fit, trying to select the best eleven that Lampard um, can pick. And I let's just say that some decisions were rather difficult and if I felt a bit bad leaving players certain players out then I can only imagine how Lampard's going to feel when he has to make these kind of big calls because uh, suddenly I mean it was hard enough to predict his team last season but as we've touched upon on this pod it's going to be an awful lot harder for him but it's a good problem to have right I mean this is uh, this is going to be very exciting to watch and, and to see how he handles it it's certainly going to be a test of his man management skills. Well, I look forward to reading that piece and I look forward even more to reading the comments below it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) Do join us next week as we react to the win slash draw slash defeat against Brighton. Until then, from myself, Liam, Dom, Simon and producer Tom, it's bye for now. 